This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I am thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Denny Lund. Uh, Dr. Lund is the Chief Medical Officer at Stanford Children's Hospital, the Lucille Packard Children's Hospital at Stanford Health, uh, a magnificent leader, and thrilled to visit him today about sort of the starting and stopping of surgeries, lesson learned in the pandemic, and, and a lot more. Dr. Lund, can you take a moment and, and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the Lucille Packard Children's Hospital at Stanford Health? So my background, I'm a pediatric general surgeon uh, and have been here at Stanford now for about seven years. Uh, Lucille Packard Children's Hospital is a separately licensed children's hospital from the adult hospital. Uh, and both of our hospitals here at Stanford are actually owned by the university and are separate 501c3 corporations uh, un under the university as the sole, as the sole member. Lucille Packard Children's Hospital is licensed about, we're about 361 beds. We actually have some outboard beds. So on our total license, we're about 396. Um, we are a little unusual in that we um, have a fairly robust OB uh, service here as well uh, as pediatrics. We have 52 OB beds and we deliver about 45 or 4,600 babies a year here, as well as doing very high end and complex uh, uh, pediatric uh, pediatric care and in in just you know relatively any specialty you can think of in pediatrics complex heart surgery uh, uh, cancer care lots of transplants uh, neurosurgery anything you can think of we we pretty much do it do it here at Packard and and, and take a moment to talk about sort of the, the stopping and starting of surgeries. And what does that mean for institution? How do you pick them back up? What are some of the lessons you learned, Dr. Lund? Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, it's really interesting to do that because initially when we first learned about COVID, it wasn't clear, you know, how much of a pandemic this was going to be. Um, and um, but we learned, learned very early on yeah, that we were going to have to, uh, we were probably going to have to cut back on on less than urgent emergent services. Now, I want to emphasize there's not a lot of elective surgery in pediatrics. There are, but there are surgical cases that can be delayed without an adverse effect on the outcome for the for the child or the family. And so, um, once it became very apparent that this pandemic was going to blow up into more than what we initially thought, there was a great concern actually about resources for adults. Uh, because if you remember uh, early on, uh, COVID didn't seem to be impacting children nearly as severely uh, as it was uh, the adult population. And so, you know, our government organizations were saying, hey, we need, to, we need to reserve these resources to take care of adults who are gonna get sick with COVID and might need to, you know, be on ventilators and things like that. So even though we didn't have huge numbers of cases of COVID in the children's hospital, we we had to pare back our, our uh, non-emergent uh, surgical services here just to hold beds in reserve uh, in the in the instance that the adult hospitals got overwhelmed uh, with COVID cases, and it, you know it was it was very close. We didn't actually end up having to take any adult patients uh, in the children's hospital. Um, but they were transferring patients from Southern California, you know, all the way from the Imperial Valley, all the way up to Stanford and UCSF and the Northern uh, California hospitals because they completely ran out of beds. 
uh, in Southern Cal- in Southern California. In the meantime, we shut down about 60% of our OR schedule uh, in order to be sure that we had resources available should we need to be uh, called on to take care of patients from other places. And, and, and take a moment, Dr. Glenn. What was it like sort of picking back up those surgeries? How did you do that? How was that done effectively? Uh, you know, and, and what was done differently to ensure the well-being of those surgeries? Maybe give us a little sense of those well, two questions. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the key to this is that we did it at the provider level. So we asked every surgeon to uh, to work with their staff and scrub their schedule and say, who who can be done, uh, you know, a little bit more delayed um, and who needs to be done right away. And uh, if you recall, Scott, early on, there was all this concern about PPE. We didn't have, te- you know, tests for good tests for COVID. Um, we certainly didn't have vaccines early on. But the key was we didn't want to have, you know, children adversely affected by having their surgeries d- delayed. And you know, that's a lot, could be a lot of the case for kids who might have cancer or need a transplant or need, you know, heart surgery or things like that. So we kept going with those kinds of surgeries right, right through the whole, the whole pandemic. Um, but once we got better PPE, uh, more availability in PPE, uh, protective gear, uh, we got, we got some testing and we were able to implement, you know, testing of all patients who came into the hospital and and uh, and then you know eventually vaccinations. Uh, it was you know much easier to uh, to to ramp things up. Um, I do think one of the important things was to really reassure families that we were doing everything uh, possible to uh, make sure that we were protecting their children, protecting the families. We had fairly strict visitation requirements, which are really hard on families, particularly in the pediatric environment. But we had to we had to stick to our guns on that, um, and but that allowed us then to kind of ramp this back up in a very controlled fashion. Um, and, and it really did take once we started ramping things up. It really did take a full year to get back to normal, especially in some of the some of the specialties like uh, ear, nose, and throat. Uh, and and orthopedics. Any thoughts, Dr. Wand, on advice or tips you would give to other organizations going through periods of surgical uncertainty? Any tips or ideas? Well, the key to uh, our success here was getting our surgical staff uh, involved right right from the get-go. And I remember having meetings with my surgical leaders or our surgical leaders and saying, hey, you know, I need every one of you to scrub your schedule. Look at your clinic schedule, look at your OR schedule, what can be done, what can be what can be delayed, uh, and you know, to, to get that kind of ownership. So it wasn't wasn't the hospital doing a top down, you have to do this. It was, hey, we're all in this together. Let's all get in the boat and row together. And, and and talk a little bit about as you look at this year coming forward, I mean Alignment among surgical providers, staff, looking at the schedules together, trying to figure out where their gaps, what can be done, what doesn't have to be done. As you move into 2022, and we're talking early February, end of January 2022, what gives you hope or excitement for this year, Dr. Lund? Well, it's it's interesting. The This COVID pandemic has shifted. Uh, 
we are seeing a totally different animal with Omicron than we saw with Delta. When we were uh, at the peak of our Delta surge, the most, the highest number of patients we saw at Packard was about 13 to 15 patients admitted to the hospital on any given day. But those kids and, and pregnant moms were relatively sick with it. Now we're actually seeing much higher numbers. We've seen as much as as many as 30 or even 32 or 33 inpatients a day. But the course of it seems to be much faster. Um, many of the kids who are over five have been at least partially vaccinated if not completely vaccinated. And so the the course of this disease does not seem to be quite as severe as it was before. So I think one of the things that gives me some hope is that, you know, the next phase of COVID is is not going to be pandemic. I don't think it's ever going to completely go away, but I think it's going to become more endemic than pandemic. Uh, and, and we'll we'll be much better prepared to to deal with uh, deal with it particularly as new variants are coming along, and we know that new variants are going to come along. Yes, and let's hope the new variants are not this, um, are less lethal than Delta and less transmissible than Omicron. So just a yeah. little bit of relief for the daunting impact on the health system throughout the country. Yeah, in, yeah. And you talked about, you know, mo many people underplay this, but we all know it took a while for systems to feel right again, to be ramped up correctly, to feel like they could move things in the right speed, the right, you know, pace as they move through the, you know, COVID shutdowns and so forth. Um, how do you view it? How are things functioning now for six months or a year or two ago? How, how does it feel to just, you know, even, I mean, obviously you went through another surge recently with Omicron, but how does it feel going through this surge versus earlier surges at the Children's Hospital? How does it feel from a surgical perspective? now versus 18 months ago. What are some of your thoughts there? Well, our people are remarkable. And, uh, you know, I think that what we have to recognize is that not only is this surge affecting parents and children, but it's also affecting healthcare workers. And, um, and you know, if you're a young mother who's working as a nurse in our ICU and you've got, you know, small kids at home and all of a sudden they get sick, you can't come to work. And um, we, you know, we have ha had incredible resilience among our staff, but they're tired. And, um, it, you know, because this is not only impacting them at work where they have to take care of patients who have this problem, it's, it's affecting them at home where they have family members, you know, who are at risk or, or actually contract, uh, contract COVID. And, um, Again, Omicron is so much more prevalent, and so is so outcompeted Delta uh, that there's practically no family that hasn't been touched in one way or another uh, by Omicron. So that impacts that impacts our staff and our ability our, our ability to staff, and and there's a, we're having to do a much more kind of scrambling to cover for for you know people who have to call in call in sick. Um, that being said, our healthcare workers are just astounding that they're willing to roll up their sleeves and do this. Um, but we have to acknowledge that there's, there, you know, there's, there's a price to pay for this. A hundred percent, Dr. Lund. Always a pleasure to visit with you. I love your thoughtful and positive perspective. It's really just a, a breath of fresh air every time I talk to you. 
Thank you so much for what you do at Stanford, and thank you for joining the Becker's Healthcare Podcast today. What a pleasure. Well, Scott, I always enjoy talking to you. You've always got great questions. Uh, so th- thanks, uh, thanks for inviting me.